Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice, all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Josh Levine, and this is Slate's sports podcast, Hang Up and Listen, for the week of January 12th, 2016. On today's extra bonus edition of the show, we'll talk about Alabama's 45-40 to win over Clemson in the College Football National Championship game, the Crimson Tide's fourth national title in the last seven years, and Nick Saban's fifth overall. The key play of the game was Alabama's surprise onside kick in the fourth quarter, so we'll talk about that and the greatness of Clemson quarterback Deshaun Watson and a bunch of other stuff. And here to talk about it with me in Washington, D.C. is Stefan Fatsis, author of the books Word Freak and A Few Seconds of Panic. Hello, Stefan. Good morning, Josh. And joining us on the phone from L.A. is Brian Curtis, ex of Slate and Grandland, and a University of Texas graduate, which means two of three of us have felt personally victimized and violated by Nick Saban. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Josh. The Penn Quakers and Pelham Pelicans are next on the chopping block. Yeah. Good morning, Brian. Good morning. Um, before I got the list of title games in front of me, Brian, I had actually forgotten about the 2014 game. I've tried to, you know, erase Jameis Winston from my mind. But that was a, an amazing game. Florida State drove for the winning touchdown against Auburn with less than a minute to go. But even yeah. so, I think everyone exalts the Texas-USC game from 2006. It's on every list as the greatest college football game of all time. Texas beat um, USC 41-38. They're both undefeated. You were at that game. Texas won because USC could not stop Vince Young. He was 30 for 40 passing. He ran for 200 yards, including the winning touchdown on fourth and five with 19 seconds to play. The game on Monday night was basically that game, except the team that had the Vince Young-like unstoppable quarterback somehow lost, <laughs> which you wouldn't think is possible. So how do you think it happened? And is that how you saw the game too. Yeah, it was funny, right? There was that moment we all looked at our Twitter feeds and everybody was tweeting about Vince Young. 
which was uh, which was kind of weird. And I think Clemson trailed 38-27 with like under eight minutes left, which is just about what Texas trailed at the same point in the 06 game. I'll tell you the moment I knew it wasn't going to be the happy ending. I don't know what the counterfactual is here because it, it feels like the man in the high castle uh, scenario is where Alabama wins, right? The evil empire continues to win and, and, and put us all under its thumb. But the big one. We've was got win. counterfactuals on counterfactuals here, <laughs> right? It was a Deshaun Watson goes for the pylon, right on uh, on the two point conversion when they're down thirty eight, thirty three. Right, if they scored the touchdown, he doesn't make it, and we're treated to that, you know, shaved head, breaking bad looking Alabama fan yelling at him on the <laughs> sideline or whatever. And that was the moment you're like, oh wait, these the bad guys are going to win this game. This isn't going to be this isn't going to be a happy ending. I think that was it for me. That's when that's when I was like, okay, Vince Young's legacy is safe and we're going a different direction here. <laughs> well, as I wrote after the game, the key decision here was Nick Saban, the head of this evil empire, the architect of this team that's indomitable, that is stout in every way a traditional football team is stout, essentially making the decision that he could not beat Clemson and Deshaun Watson by playing straight up Nick Saban Alabama football and Deciding to call this onside kick that was audacious and bizarre in the context of Nick Saban in Alabama, and that was perfectly executed and worked in precisely the way that Saban intended. There was was a moment there when I was actually hoping that Nick Saban did that, not because it was the the strategically right thing to do at that moment in this game, the only way, like you said, to possibly have a chance of winning because he believed that his defense couldn't continue to stop Deshaun Watson, but because he thought this would be really fun. <laughs> like, we've been practicing this, and God, we should use this in a game. Boy, wouldn't that be fun? And it actually looked like he was having fun. I mean, he smiled a little bit on the sideline. He did a little jig. I don't know if it was a jig, but he looked like he moved, and he wasn't <laughs> throwing a headset down. Um, so, I mean, that, to me, it was what made the game so terrific, not just because it was a kicker and the kicker was the central focus of the game and we had the vindication for a weekend of, of, of reviling the kicker from the, the Minnesota NFL game. Kickers are important, everybody. Kicker was the most important person in this game. But it was the kicker placed in this role of this is how football can be fun. This is how football can be entertaining. It's, it would, I would love for us to have misunderstood Nick Saban's thought processes so much that what's really going through his head at times like that is this would be really fun. I know, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so Mark Tracy wrote in the New York Times, Brian, that the onside kick was a classic underdog maneuver. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think we need to let the um, statistical people go back and, and find out how many strange things or the historians go back and find how many strange calls Nick Saban has actually come out with. During his evil empire days, the one the weird one that came back to me last night was 2010 national championship game against Texas. They're in fourth and 23 on their opening drive at their own 20, and they ran a fake punt, which was intercepted and turned out fairly disastrously for them. That they wind up winning the game. So I don't know. I mean, I, does he is he completely risk averse, or do we just think of Nick Saban as his teams being so good they're relying on their running game? And, you know, and their defense and grinding it out that we just have missed some, you know, less miles twinkle in the eye over the years. Or or the onside kick was a purely X's and O's decision. If the outside guy on the Clemson front is inside the hash mark, then we run this pop-up Engage Saban kick, kick algorithm Correct. now. <laughs> um, I don't think it was because he said after the game – 
it was because the defense was tired, and I felt like this is what we needed to do right. in the moment. Brian, I think to answer your question, we just haven't had the kind of occasion or opportunity to find out because even in the games like the Tennessee game earlier this year, Alabama was down at the end and needed a drive to win the game. They just ran the ball, and Derrick Henry, I don't remember if he scored the touchdown, but, you know, they just, like, run or against LSU, like, every game in the last few years. They just, like, run screen passes and, <laughs> and you know, draw plays or whatever. And they're always able to figure out a way to win the game conventionally. I think if Saban – Saban seems interested in winning. That seems like kind of a, a, <laughs> yes. uh, a, pr- so. a, prim- a primary driving factor for him. And so what this game showed is he will do – whatever he needs to do to win. And there's been a lot made. In 2012, he said, speaking of the no-huddle-hurry-up offenses, is this what we want college football to be? I think we've seen with the hiring of Lane Kiffin that you know Nick Saban will engage with whatever college football is so long as you know the outcome is Alabama winning the national championship. Yeah, he is committed to winning rather than committed to an aesthetic, right? I think is one way to put it. And you know, I think like he is often compared to Belichick, and I think they they work together, right? Am I am I am I correct? And I think the way to think of him is like Belichick, which is that Belichick is, you know, probably in his somewhere in the recesses of his mind would love to win with what Bill Parcells called Neanderthal football, you know, just playing defense and keeping it together offensively. But as we've seen with Belichick, he's happy to completely change his offense because of what Tom Brady can handle. He's hyper-rational, right? That's another way to look at the onside kick is that, you know, we see it as this crazy gamble, but in Nick Saban's mind, it may have been absolutely the most rational decision. My defense isn't going to stop these guys. Uh, this is my chance to win the game. And if I give them a short field and they run down and score, well, well, well you know, I'll throw it to O.J. Howard and we'll, we'll tie the game up. Uh, right. It was it was a completely rational decision in the moment. And I was just looking up some clips and some quotes from after the game in which Saban did tell Adam Griffith, the kicker before the game, that if they line up in this formation with the most outside guy inside the, the hash mark, then we're going to try it if the if the situation is right. And they did practice this. They really did practice this every week. So, it, it, you know, from reading the clips now, you can see that the sort of excitement built on the sideline when Lane Kiffin actually said, we're going to do this. And he apparently told players, don't give it away. Don't smile. So this is, of course, within the framework of pure tactics. I feel like if every player on the Alabama sideline started smiling, just (laughs) Clemson would have been totally disturbed and psyched out. They should have done that. They broke it out the Nick Saban smile before Nick Saban even had the chance to break it out. Yeah, that would have been amazing. So, Brian, um, Clemson... I think was the more consistent team on a play to play basis. And that's because Watson was just so incredible at extending plays, running, um, kind of scrambling to throw. He had more than 400 yards passing, which when I looked at the numbers after the game shocked me, but he just had a fantastic, fantastic game. And on defense, Clemson was good for the vast majority of the game, getting pressure on Jay Coker um, getting a lot of stops for loss on running plays. They just screwed up maybe four or five times in the game um, in really catastrophic ways. The Derrick Henry 50-yard TD run, Mm -hmm. the two O.J. Howard long TD catches where the tight end was just wide open, the Kenyon Drake kick return, and then I guess the onside kick. I I wouldn't classify that as a screw-up. But how do you kind of 
ponder Clemson's <laughs> overall game when they played so well and so terribly in just this very small sample of decisive plays. Yeah, it's really weird, right? Because on those three plays you mentioned, it was like they didn't have a back seven at all. You know, it was like you know they were rushing the pass really well, and all of a sudden, if you just if you just got past their defensive line, there was literally nobody there. I still don't understand how the Derrick Henry play happened uh, because it seemed like their defense was geared towards you know, which is of course any smart person would do would be try to just limit the Derrick Henry damage as much as you can and make Jake Coker beat you. Right? What was weird was. If you look at the stats, Henry ended up with a really nice game of 150 yards, three touchdowns, and Jay Coker ended up with an even nicer game of 335 yards and two touchdowns. Right, so, except that I think that Henry's was an average like three yards a carry, except when he wasn't breaking off a 50-yard touchdown run. Right, but stopping the 50-yard touchdown runs is surely part of the yeah. part of the <laughs> part of the problem. Right? I mean, that's you know, you you, you don't you don't get credit for stopping him for two yards if then you give up a 50 after that. But I know I think that um, I don't know what happened, and I don't I don't know. I mean, it didn't when you went to Swinney on sideline, it didn't seem like he had any idea what happened either, right? Especially the O.J. Howard thing. I think that's another thing of the hyper rational uh, Saban and then his now strange acolyte. Kylo Ren style acolyte uh, Lane Kiffin is that you know they just they called that play and it works they're just like we're just going to call it again a couple more times and until Clemson tell you know shows us that they have a, they can stop this play we're just going to keep doing it and you know look it turns into the you know basically the go ahead score in the fourth quarter and they win. Well, Clemson's uh, best corner Mackenzie Alexander did leave the game with a hamstring injury and. If you're watching the ESPN film room on ESPN2, the coaches on there, this was like a very strange collection of uh, college football minds, which we'll talk about in a minute. They were speculating. They actually didn't even know what happened because it is fundamentally unknowable what a player's assignment is. You can sort of guess it based on alignment and based on who follows who, but you're not really sure who's, you know, busting, as as they say. But it seemed like a lot of the problems were coming from the, you know, backup who came in for, for Clemson Star Corner. Um, let's take a quick uh, break for an announcement. Slate's parenting podcast, Mom and Dad Are Fighting, is having a live show later this month. It's going to be in Brooklyn at the Bell House on Tuesday, January 26th. And they will have a special guest, poet and first lady of New York, Sherlane McRae, to get tickets, head to slate.com slash live. All right, uh, Stefan, let's talk about that film room situation. You got your uh, Will Muschamp in there. So oh there's a little... God. I love the film room. A little good old boy factor. South yeah. Florida's Willie Taggart, who just kind of was watching the game. He didn't really seem like he wanted no. to talk very much. He was enjoying the game. And then uh, Pat Narduzzi of Pitt. That guy was like very insightful. I'm a big Nar- Narduzzi fan. What mm-hmm. did you think of... Of the film room, and and we should also be clear, they had like a little clicker where they're rewinding the game mm-hmm. while the game was happening, which was very confusing. Well, we should put it into some context. You know, ESPN gave us five different feeds. I think they gave us the Feinbaum room. There was the idiot ESPN people room. Um, there was just the television screens room. What else did we have? <laughs> we had the regular game, uh, broadcast. the regular game <laughs> broadcast, and there was one more. Um, I went with the, I sampled all and then I stuck with the film room because there is something about watching football coaches talk about football that makes them way more human than at any other moment in their lives. Um, it is, it is just, it's kind of surreal. These guys would just sit there and talk about watching film 
even if there was nobody around. And, and I remember when, when I was in Denver, this was the exact the, the feeling that players had, that if they all got up at once and walked out of the room, the coach standing in the front would continue to break down the film <laughs> for an hour, two hours, or the rest of the night, whatever it took. And that's what was so lovely about this. It was so humanizing to hear these guys talk about Bender against Middle Open and the hook player came off the back and two busters. Kirby looks like he's adjusting everything out. You're not going to check on the motion, trying to quick hawk route to number two. I mean, it was, you needed like a, you needed subtitles to watch the film room. And at the same time, it, it's so pure because there, there's so much passion for what they're doing, but it's stripped of all the bullshit emotion that you get on the main feed from the typical broadcaster. So in some ways, it's harder to watch the game. I actually missed the onside kick live because I think they were rewinding from a previous play and breaking down, you know, the the extra point or whatever. It's just, I, I love that 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 sort of that innocent enthusiasm that doesn't go over the line into sort of fan based drivel and emotion. It was pure technical beauty and analysis. I loved it. I agree with that. By the way, when you listed all the channels at the beginning, the fine bomb room and just screens and all that stuff, sounded like a Yelp listing of sports bars in hell. You know, like what is what are all these places? But I thought the um, I thought what was really revealing about the film room is the way the coaches talked half in the uh, indecipherable uh, we need subtitles chatter that Stefan says, and then they would revert to the like most lamest, strangest cliches. And it yep. sort of shows you how the mind of a coach works, right? Like he is, in one sense, this scientist who understands football at this molecular level. And then at the other hand, he's this person who has to explain it to his players, to the press, to people like us who don't know very much about football. And, you know, Willie Taggart would just would be talking, and then he would just look at the camera and go, you know, I think that interception really changed the momentum of this game. And you're like, yeah, no kidding, <laughs> you know. Like really, you talk. It's like almost it, it, it was almost like they catch themselves, and I think it typically happened when they were asked a question. Yes, they would respond in media talk, but when they forgot that the microphones were there and they were just back in the film room with you know with the with the quarterbacks coach, then that's when they would be the most honest and revealing, and that's what was Absolutely. great about it. Absolutely. The coach has to know two languages, right? One that he communicates with his people and the other he communicates with the outside world. I thought that was really, really fascinating. I like how dismissive you are of the regular game broadcast where people actually like care about what's happening from, you know, the perspective of like being interested in the game as a fan. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think like that, by the way, the the regular game broadcast is about as good as it gets with Kirk Herbstreit, right? I mean, there's no. Yeah, totally. And and credit ESPN. I mean, I thought ESPN's camera work was brilliant. The angles were brilliant. Um, I mean, it was a really great sporting event. Pylon cam was brilliant. It was a great sporting event to watch visually. I mean, I think ESPN was at its real finest. Um, And having as many cameras at its disposal to do the film room stuff and the other channels um, to give you those those multiple montages of what was happening on the field was really a credit to ESPN. And we can also stipulate that the more kind of glossy and highly produced and beautiful these game broadcasts become, the like grosser right. the fact that the players aren't paid as stipulated. We <laughs> hadn't done that yet. We yeah. had not done it. You have to stipulate that in every discussion of college yes. football. Thank you. Um, Anytime. So four titles in seven years for Alabama. It's been said by many that this is the most impressive feat in the history of the sport, given how competitive it is, given the fact that there is now 
a four-team playoff, so an Alabama can't just immediately... There's like a uh, way station on the way to a national title now in a national semifinal. Do you agree with that as the uh, college football historian that you are? Is this just (laughs) as impressive as it seems? Um, it's incredibly impressive. <laughs> I don't know if it's the best. I mean, it's weird to even even worry about whether it's the best, right? Because Dick Saban is, as we as you mentioned earlier, interested in winning more titles. Uh, presumably next year, he's not going to uh, retire to some desert island. I guess what's really impressive to me, a couple of things about his run or dynasty or whatever we want to call it now. One is that he's had basically incredible, incredibly mediocre quarterback play throughout all four national titles. I think uh, I looked this up this morning. I hopefully got this right, but I don't think his his QB in a Heisman winning, excuse me, national championship winning season has never gotten a Heisman vote uh, of any kind. Jake Coker, as we heard many times last night, uh, got benched for the Ole Miss game that Alabama lost, uh, and then you know in the first half he gave up a ton of bad sacks and and then made a couple of magical plays down the stretch. So I think that's amazing to me about Nick Saban. The other thing that's you know we just have to say about this is that there's so much luck baked into winning a national championship. And this applies not to Nick Saban, just to Nick Saban, but to everybody. And this year's, of course, great example is Bama loses to Ole Miss, and then Ole Miss loses to Arkansas in a crazy 4th and 25 conversion, which allows Bama to win the SEC West, which allows them to be where they were last night and win the national championship. And it doesn't make Nick Saban any less of a coach uh, that he needed a miracle in a different game to be there last night, or at least to be there as easily last night. But that stuff is baked in anywhere. And Nick Saban has been an incredible recipient over his four titles, five, count the other one, of good luck happening around him that he had absolutely nothing to do with. Can we also talk a little bit about why this game was more entertaining than, say, your typical NFL game? And a lot of that has to do with, I think, um, you know, the vagaries of college football. These are young guys. There are going to be mistakes made. You're going to see more broken plays. There's going to be a little bit less precision, a little bit more error making. And Saban has figured out a way to minimize the, the vagaries of having teenagers uh, instructed to do things that maybe they're not always capable of doing. Well, let's not go overboard here. We're coming off a bowl season in which all the games were Horrible. 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 Right. So we're, there, there's a little recency bias in saying that, like, the well, greatest college football title game in, in a decade shows that college football is better than pro football. No, I wasn't, I wasn't implying that. I meant that if you, in, in a, even in, with the greatest college football team, the reason Saban wins is because he's figured out a way to minimize the sort of errors. And the errors, when you see them by, played by the, the two best college football teams, are the ones that become decisive. So in that way, you know, that they have more impact on the game. And well, they these, were fun, these were fun errors that led to touchdowns. Correct. Rather than the kinds of errors that just led to people fumbling and falling down. Right. I, I, I prefer think that those, is, I think those the types magic of errors. Is, yeah, I think that's right. I think the magic of it is that you don't actually know what's going to happen on every play, right? There are, right? there are outcomes of every play that you can't possibly anticipate. When Watson would take off last night, you'd just be like, I don't know what's going to happen. He could run 80 yards to the touchdown. He could, you know, run five yards and get hit by a Bama linebacker and fumble the ball. And it seems like there's, you know, there's more uh, chance and random things built into college football than the program, for sure. And maybe, Brian, you can end it for us with a, uh, a thought and a prayer for the Clemson fan, if, if he's <laughs> out there, if he or she is out there. Just thinking about this at an intellectual level, try, trying to think about being a non-intellectual uh, watcher of this game in an intellectual <laughs> way. 
Um, I just cannot imagine what it would have been like to be on the other side of this game because you clearly had the best player Mm -hmm. on the field. You clearly, as we said, were the best team in the game on a play-to-play basis. I guess the thing that's a bit of a comfort is that Watson's coming back next year and that it does seem like, you know, this team is poised, you know, in a, in a conference where the competition is not super stiff to be back there again. But what a brutal way to lose, I think. Yeah, I think this comes back to the Bama victimology that you were uh, touching on in the opening thing, <laughs> which is that they, I mean, I'm sure that no Clemson fan was thinking, you know, of the onside kick before the game, but they probably thought that their nightmare scenario was Nick Saban finds a way to beat us and that we have a fantastic game, things, you know, offense is firing on all cylinders, and somehow Nick Saban finds a way to win. Uh, so I think it falls, as a college football fan, in the kind of, I kind of knew this was going to happen scenario. You know, I kind of knew that we weren't going to go out and beat those guys, even though it, we teased uh, the world for, for four hours last night. That's what I think it is. I mean, I think last year's nightmare scenario for an Oregon fan was this guy, Cardale Jones, uh, turns into, you know, the best quarterback ever for two games. And that's exactly what happened. And, and I think uh, the Clemson fan, that was a, a familiar feeling last night. That's exactly what he feared or she. And I bet, it, I bet if we went to the Clemson message boards, which I highly recommend that we not do, that <laughs> there's certainly enough like threads you can pull to create a narrative of being screwed out of the game, either by yes. the fates, because our best cornerback got hurt. I'm sure that's like you know, the number one thing being or cited. We were we were denied six seconds at the end of the first Yeah, that's half. what I was going to say. We were screwed by the refs. And that was just unbelievably bad. Like, I don't even, I don't know how that could have happened. That's not a new rule in college football, is it? You know, no. the, the clock stops after a first down? <laughs> no, and I, th- and I thought they were going to re- review the clock. I mean, we don't need to get into the forensics of this. But again, there's like more than enough grist there for a Clemson fan to be, you know, say we were screwed by... X, Y, Z, A, B, C, N, D. Absolutely. You can, you could, they could rewind all of those touch, long touchdowns with Alexander in the game and find a way to win it. By the way, another thing, this is the year of the injury in college football. So it was all those quarterbacks getting injured to big teams. So it's sort of appropriate that a big injury apparently affected a game as much as this one did. Well, if the Clemson fans do feel bad about it, they can go back and rewind just like those coaches are still sitting in that room rewinding. They, they broke down the Gatorade shower, by the way. I don't know if you guys – I did not see that. See that. Um, they, they, they were talking about how Saban doesn't like the Gatorade shower, the fact that it was red, which is stickier. They had a whole <laughs> breakdown of the Gatorade shower. Brian, uh, go out. that is a good way to go out. Brian, uh, we are showering you from afar. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. I'm going to go uh, towel off. <laughs> All right. We'd love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at hangup at slate.com. We'll also gather links to the stories we discussed at slate.com slash hangup. Subscribe to Hang Up and listen to iTunes. You can find us by going to itunes.com slash late podcasts. And those comments and ratings, they help us. It makes my heart flutter when I see a new comment and a new rating. Well, the good ones. Uh, please become a fan of Hang Up and Listen on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangup and listen. Our intern is Julia Karen. Our producer is Zach Dinerstein. The executive producer of Slate's podcast is Steve Lichtai. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Hang up and listen as part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Remember Zelmo Beatty, and thanks for listening. 
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.